You are listening to the Amazing Women podcast, where we enjoy meaningful conversations with extraordinary women. These highly successful entrepreneurs will share their stories of remarkable success and occasionally some spectacular failures. Come join your host, entrepreneur and best-selling author Rob Kopman, as he shares this hour with you and these fascinating women. I'm speaking to Carly Lawrence today. She's a real estate agent for Keller Williams Realty in the Phoenix, Arizona area, and she's breaking records. She's on track for closing 50 deals in 2020. Pretty amazing considering all the COVID challenges we have out there. One of her favorite sayings is, if you don't manage your time, other people will. Now that sounds like wisdom beyond her age of only 24 years old. She's an amazing person. She's making a six-figure income already, and I'm sure the sky's the limit for her. So without further ado, here's Kylie Lawrence. Hi, Kylie. I know you're a real estate agent, but what would you say you actually do? I work with buyers and sellers making transitions. So whether it's investment properties, whether it's you know finding their first home, whether it's managing, you know, getting into a new project as far as investments goes and, you know, finding maybe a multifamily house to um, house hack or to, you know, get some investment funds. Um, anything that revolves around housing is, is my special. So I'm with Keller Williams Realty. Um, it's funny when I got into the business, you know, when you finish schooling, it's kind of standard to go interview around with a couple different brokerages, see what they have to offer, see what their splits look like, their training that's available and so on. Um, the Keller Williams team that I'm with right now was only the second one that I ever interviewed. And I stopped right there. Um, it's been, yeah, I did. <laughs> and that may have been risky when it comes to weighing my options, but I found that it's been uh, hugely beneficial as far as training goes there. It's an awesome brokerage to work with. So the way my team is structured is um, we have about 12 or 13 agents right now, total. And we're growing, you know, or working on that at least. I have a team lead who does a lot of the training in regards to new recruits. And she operates her own, you know, high level business as well. But I would say my portion is taking on the majority of the volume on the team. So the other buyers agents handle their own, you know, transactions as well. But they're an awesome resource for me to be able to do some outbound work when fielding clients for my listings, as well as holding open houses, things like that. Um, I also have an awesome transaction coordinator. And she's kind of my right hand man when it comes to contracts and doing all the paperwork stuff that I'm not so good at. <laughs> well, you know, you're not getting paid to do paperwork, right? You're better off out in the field talking to people, showing yeah, houses. I'm much better out in the field, uh, you know, negotiating, doing the people person stuff. Yeah, that's why that's why I've got her is to pick up where I lack. <laughs> So what, what is uh, Home Help was about? I noticed that's uh, uh, on your business card too. So it's Keller Williams is the realtor, is the, the, the agency, whatever. What's Home Helpers? Yeah, so Keller Williams is a franchise. So there you'll find a million different teams underneath them. In fact, I think Keller Williams as a company now is the largest international real estate brokerage, which is pretty awesome. Um, so quite a community in that regard. But Home Helper Consultants is the team that I operate under. So they are, they, we started up in short sales, you know, around last time we had a big shift in the market, if you will, and really got into helping people navigate that situation. So that was the main focus, did a lot of business in short sales. And ever since then, you know, we now have a database of between 20 and 30,000 people where, you know, at some point or another, we have, you know, contacted them, helped them out with a transaction, 
you know, help them navigate their next purchase, whatever the case may be. So we've been operating business here in our office is located in Scottsdale. Uh, the main Keller Williams brokerage is in Tempe, but personally in my last five years in real estate, I can tell you I've probably sold houses in every inch of town. <laughs> So, you know, I'll go from, I have no problem driving to Buckeye, to Gold Canyon, to New River to help clients. So, um, but yeah, we've really, you know, built our business off of over the last however many years that has been, what, 13 years now since the team started up. We probably have a conglomerate of over 120 years of experience with everybody on the team. So that's pretty awesome impressive. resource. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, the market in Phoenix right now is a little crazy, isn't it? <laughs> a little is an understatement, yeah. <laughs> well, what's the latest on, now this is uh, August 28th of 2020. And so as of right now, how many houses are estimated to be on the market available for sale? Great question. Yeah. So some background for you. I would say a healthy market in Phoenix right now would probably look closer to upwards of 20 to 25,000 single family homes for sale on the market. Um, as of this morning, we're hovering probably right around 8,200. Yeah, so less than half. Was that a third? <laughs> right, uh, where we should be. Um, and you know, the reason for that is there's many, but I would say that the, the amount of demand that Phoenix is seeing in general right now with all of the you know, large tech companies, companies in general moving here to really expand their businesses. Um, a lot of our clients are transitioning here from California and you know, a lot of people are looking for second homes here. You know, we, we have the term you're familiar with snowbirds and um, a lot of our clients you know, adhere to that lifestyle. I can't blame them. <laughs> No, how could you? So the growth here that we have, you know, with everybody searching for a property, it just wildly outweighs the amount of available properties people looking to sell. Um, I, I've heard some crazy stories like people want to put their house up for sale, but they're afraid to do that because there's nothing for them to buy to move to. So they don't put their house up for sale. Is that what's ha really happening? Um, I hear a lot of concern around that. Yeah. Um, and I would say, you know, that's valid. I understand the uncertainty and, you know, I know my house will sell easily, but then where do I go from there? Um, but there are strategies, you know, that we've come up with in place for that situation. Um, I would say that a lot of my clients right now are, there's a couple different ways you can go about that, right? So you can have a search set up and it's really important in this market that you are on top of the new properties that come listed because it's less about us having low inventory in Phoenix and more about us having really high turnover. You know, we'll have a good chunk of properties come on the market on a Thursday or Friday, any given week, but they'll be gone by the weekend. So it's not that new houses aren't coming on the market. <laughs> wait, 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 back up here. You, house comes on the market Thursday and by Monday it's sold. So I'll give you an example. I had a property in Surprise a couple weekends ago. Um, the seller, we, we met together and went over a, a plan for her. And the comps that I gave her were close to a 260 mark. Uh, for her property. Now, not a ton of upgrades here. She redid the backyard, but otherwise a pretty basic early 2000s build. Three bed, two bath, simple home. So 260 is what I quoted her. And that was pretty much her max. I said maybe 270. So she said, listen, I, I really need to get the most out of my house. Let's put it on the market for 269 and let's just see what happens. Um, I said, all right, we'll give it a shot. But I, you know, I told you that this is where I stand. So we'll see what happens and we'll have a conversation after that. Over the weekend, luckily she was at work most of the time because we ended up with 50 showings. <laughs> 50 people came to look at it. Okay. Physically coming to look at it with their real estate agent. Were they all wearing masks? Of course. 
<laughs> of course. Um, and by the end of the day on Sunday, you know, I told all the agents we had come through, submit your highest and best offer. And by the end of the day on Sunday, I was able to meet with that seller and provide her with nine offers, all of them over asking price. So what we ended up with was a home that we listed at 269 that ended up selling for 288. And we ended up appraising at value and their strategy to that as well. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's the market that we're in, you know? So when it comes to a buyer that is also looking to sell their property, a lot of the times you'll have to just be right on top of it. And that's my specialty as an agent is, you know, every morning checking new properties for clients and going to see them as soon as it becomes an opportunity. You know, some clients are listing their home first and then putting that because it's hard to get an offer accepted right now without your home already being sold or at least have an offer on it. Right. So sure. some people are selling their properties and renting, you know, that's a way to go about it as well until you find the next thing. So there's, there's multiple different strategies you can employ, but I wouldn't say it's impossible by any means to do that right now. Okay. Well, let's talk strategy for a moment. So you could take a house, you say it's worth say 260 and the person maybe wants 300 and maybe the reality is somewhere in between. Um, is it better to list it at a little bit lower price, like 260, 269, and then hope that it gets like a little bidding war going and you get more? Or are you better off pricing it at 270 and then seeing what you get and maybe uh, negotiating down to what you really want? Mm -hmm. Great question. Because you can do it either way, right? Yeah, you could do it either way. And that, that would be my answer. And I would say it's really dependent on the seller's situation, right? So everybody wants a bidding war at the end of the day, that's, that's what all sellers want. Right. So I would say price it right, sell it quick, get as many competing offers as possible. That's best case scenario. If you have a price point in mind and you're willing to let the house sit on the market, it's my job to be as communicative as possible. So we can price it, the house at whatever you want. Right. I don't decide what a house is worth. You don't decide what a house is worth. The market does. And then, you know, the house is only worth what a buyer is willing to pay for it. So I will just be very candid. And I think this is something that, you know, clients always appreciate in any service industry, right? Is it's my job to be honest and communicative with any buyers that are coming through and the feedback that they're providing. So if we consistently hear the house is overpriced for what it's worth, then it's a conversation we need to have about being priced right. But in this market, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hesitantly telling a lot of sellers, we can price it a little bit above what we think market value is going to be and probably get an offer at that price. So, so the strategy of listing it for a little lower to get more people in, to get a better chance of a bidding war going sometimes works, but just as often overpricing it by a little bit and waiting for that one buyer who's willing to pay it also works. It doesn't make that much difference. Does in it? this market, not so much in another market. That's, you know, that's not so much the case, but I would say, you know, my, my hesitance to, is always to price it right because I just can't promise that you're going to get an offer at the price you want, but I can promise that we can figure it out together. You know, we can see the data that comes in. If we're not getting the showings that we want or the offers that we want in the first couple of weeks, then we strategize. You know, we figure out what the market thinks your home is worth. And if it's so, what's the downside of pricing it too much, too high rather, and um, maybe it sits on the market for several months versus pricing it right and just getting, selling it right away. That's exactly what I would say is that if you price it too high and it sits on the market, that's your downside is that any buyer's agent or buyer in general that comes to look at the property is going to probably either call the agent and say, 
what's going on with this house? Why is it sitting? They're already coming in with the mindset that something might be wrong. You know, why haven't you gotten offers yet? If a house, especially in this market, if a house is sitting, there's something going on, right? And we know that the main proponents of selling a house are location, condition, and price. That's always been the case. It's still the case, you know, regardless of how hot the market is. Okay. Yeah. So it's your job as a professional to know the market intimately and give people advice. They could do what they want, but you give them recommendations as to what you think will be in their best interest, what will work best, whether it's they want to sell the house fast or they want to sell the house for the most they can get, you might use two different strategies. Right. And I would say you may sell the home for as most as you, you know, the most that you can get by pricing it right. You know, by having that bidding war that we talked about, that's what happened. Well, that's a real art, isn't it? Knowing what the price it had to, to stimulate that bidding. It, that's right. Well, and it, you know, that's comps in this market help, but they're not always accurate, you know, like the situation that I gave. And it also, these questions all depend on price point too. You know, this is a, my answers are going to be very different if we're looking at a 250 house in this market compared to, you know, something upwards of a million. So I see. Okay. Now, do you have a, a specialty? I mean, do you have a range that you usually uh, like to be in or wind up in, or do you go the whole range from 250 all the way up to 5 million? And what's, what's your target? I mean, I've actually, I've, I've done everything, you know, I've done everything from sub 100,000 mobile homes to, you know, $5 million listings. So my specialty is helping the most people that I can, right? That's why I do this. I would say our average in Phoenix right now hovers right around three, three fifty. So that's where the majority of my, my business falls is, you know, in that average price range, but that doesn't mean that we don't have the experience in, in all ranges, you know? And I would say that my, the benefit that I have as well over a lot of the agents, you know, we were talking before we started recording this, that we have 80,000 real estate agents in Phoenix right now. And <laughs> that number it's, it's shocking. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's shocking to think about that quantity of people in an industry where it really takes experience. It really takes being in it, you know, full time to understand how to navigate a transaction. So that being said, uh, you know, I, I'm a third generation Arizonan. So I pretty much know by now every area of the valley very well. And in Phoenix is very pocketed when it comes to real estate too. You know, it's, you can go 10 minutes, north of whatever location you're at and maybe be in a whole different, you know, uh, Hey, where I live, you can go five blocks and the price is double. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, I know it's like that. It's like that. <laughs> Sometimes it's like that when it rains too. I've had it <laughs> where it's raining in my front yard and not raining in my backyard. Exactly. So yeah. Phoenix is kind of weird like that, but you know, I, I live in Scottsdale, which is next to paradise Valley, which is relatively well known to well-known neighborhoods around the country. And, and, uh, the houses, average house in Paradise Valley, I don't know what it is, but it's probably in the one and a half, two million dollar range, something like that. And my neighborhood is maybe uh, five to eight thousand, eight hundred thousand dollars, and they're stones throw apart. I mean, exactly. right there. So, well, and it's so important to understand these distinctions, you know, with distance not really making that much of a difference as far as city to city goes, like you're saying. But I have so many out of state clients that you know, it takes that kind of expertise in knowing the market here to be able to figure out. You know, yeah, they don't know what neighborhoods, what neighborhood. Exactly. I mean, you tell people about a house in surprise, they don't know what you're talking yeah. about. I know it happens to be just south of Sun City. Oh, Sun City, I've heard there of you that. Know. You know, <laughs> you got to know what to, what to say, right? So let's talk about you for a minute. I mean, you've been doing this for a while. You're good at it. 
you know, what's some of the lessons you've learned? What are some of your spectacular failures and, and spectacular wins over the years? Give us an example of, of a couple. Mm, I because. love that. Okay. Um, yeah, I would say that if you ask anybody who's been doing real estate for a little bit, well, let me back up. Every, every week, my team meets twice a day every day. Okay. We're a very close knit group. And wait a minute, twice a day, every day. Yeah, that's right. Except weekends, but that's a lot of meetings. Lot. Okay. Yeah. So we meet at eight 30 in the morning for a little pump up zoom call, um, which sometimes looks like a lot of script practice. It sometimes looks like, um, training from like an outside source. Um, every Wednesday we have a book club that we talk about. So it, there's a variety of things, but every Friday we have what we call fail forward Friday. And what that looks like is each of us going around and talking about what, you know, what did we fail at this week and what are we going to do to uh, turn that into an opportunity for the future? Okay. Let me stop you for a second, because that's a really important subject. I always like to leave people with some really good genius nugget, if you will, of information that will help. There's an awful lot of people listening to my podcast that are a little nervous about going to business for themselves, whether it's to be a real estate agent or to, or to open up a bake shop, doesn't matter what it is. They have a job that they're hesitant to leave. And they're really, uh, what they're afraid of is failure. They're afraid of not making money. And they're just afraid of just not doing well. So you have, what is it called? Friday fail forward? Fail forward Friday. That's right. Fail forward Friday. Okay. That's a great term because that really says it all. It means every Friday you're going to meet and you're going to talk about how you failed, but how that helped you move your business forward. So failure is not something to be af afraid of. It's not something to, uh, not even something necessarily to not experience. It's actually helpful because it always teaches you something. Or not you, teaches the person you're sitting next to something, exactly. right? Exactly. I mean, we celebrate our fails. That's the whole point. Um, and I would say that, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to fail forward Friday, the whole concept is self-awareness, you know, and that's something that has an entrepreneur, you're, you have to be very self-aware at all times because your time is the most valuable thing that you have and how you manage it is probably the most difficult thing to learn when operating your own business. So fail forward Friday is a great opportunity to think about, think constructively about the week. Okay. What, what did I do that I could have done better? How am I going to strategize for next week? Um, and so that's a practice that we've been doing ever since I started on the team. And I would say anybody starting their business, my, you know, being, being able to check in with yourself and see what's holding you back has been just self-constructive criticism has been so beneficial throughout the whole process. And in regards to what you said earlier, I really connect with it as far as being afraid to take chances because of how unsure the result is. Um, you know, before when I got into real estate, just to kind of back up a little bit, I was in retail management and sales management for a few years before I started in this. I'm 24 now. So maybe the youngest person you'll have on your podcast for a little bit. I I hope at least <laughs> I, you know, I, I was in retail. Well, this is about amazing women, right? And so somebody 24 years old to be doing as well as you're doing, that definitely puts you in that category. So that's okay. Being 24 is great. That's actually, uh, you know, that's a feather in your cap and mine. There you go. So continue. <laughs> so I had an experience where I was working in, I managed a Sephora store, uh, the cosmetics brand Sephora. And 
I, you know, I, I had thought that that was going to be my career path for a long time. I got my degree in business. I have an associate's in business. And then I stopped going to college once I realized that, that my trajectory was changing a little bit towards real estate. But when I was in that job, you know, I loved it. And I was, I worked for a brand that I loved. I, you know, I loved coaching. I loved leadership. I loved all of those aspects. And it was probably the first opportunity that I had where I had a boss um, she was our store manager and she was probably the first woman in my life that I was like, damn, my perception was she's got her shit together. Like she, you know, she's really got it figured out. She's a great manager. Her, you know, her tactics for building relationships and instilling trust in, you know, our employees is amazing. What have you. So long story short, she ends up getting pregnant with her first child. She's in her early thirties at this time. I'm in my very early twenties. And I remember sitting down with her during a lunch period at one point and just looking at her and saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm kind of curious what your strategy is here because, you know, you work a retail job, which often includes weekends, which often includes working, you know, 11 to 8 or 12 to 9 and, you know, hours fluctuate kind of sporadically. And, and I know her husband was also managing a retail store like that. Um, so I said, what are you going to do? You know, in, in this country, maternity leave, three months, paternity leave, forget it. So after that, you know, you've got a baby, how are you going to manage these hours? And she looked at me and said, you know, I don't know. And I said, oh shit. <laughs> Not a good answer. Yeah, I said, really. oh shit, I got to get out here because, you know, I didn't know if I wanted kids. I didn't know what the future was going to look like, but I did know that I needed more certainty and more control over my situation than, than she had at that time you know, here's somebody that I thought had it figured out. And when she very vulnerably told me, I, you know, I'm really not sure that was my, that was my moment where I said, okay, what can I do? Because something's got to change. I can't continue to work for, you know, even though I love my job and honestly I was making $22 an hour at 20 years old. That's pretty managing, good for 20 year old. Yeah, yeah. Managing a team of, you know, 20 to 30, women who often were older than me and, and that, not that that was an issue or anything, but I, I had a great job, you know, and, and I was making good money and it was full time. And I saw myself being there for a while, but I also knew I can't continue to work retail hours my whole life. Yeah. And retail is, it could be fun, but it's typically uh, not a place where you can really move up the ranks very easily. You know, most of the people, Take, get taken advantage of and they work a lot of hours and they never really get anywhere. A few of them move up to manager, even CEO maybe, but for the most part, retail is a dead end job, isn't it? That's essentially what I ran into. You know, not only did I not want to work the hours, not want to have, you know, some sort of flexibility with, you know, say I wanted to travel or have kids or whatever the case may be. My, my real agenda working there was I wanted to work my way up in the ranks. You know, I got my degree in business so that I could move up to a corporate role in a company I loved. And what I saw was even as I became a manager at that store, the next step up besides store manager, which, you know, my, this lady was, was district manager and the district manager who operated all of the stores, you know, within Arizona, Nevada, Utah, I believe was in that role for five years at least. And I'm sure there were other store managers who had more tenure than I did. And so what I ended up, running into, and this happened in all of my management jobs before I started in real estate, was that what I felt were my capabilities, you know, in that job moving forward, just didn't match 
what was more important to the company, which was tenure or experience, you know, so I may have been perfectly ready for that job and, and probably had more ambition than anybody else to get it done. Right. But it didn't match, you know, somebody who had yeah. for 10 years or whatever. You got to work for many years or you got to know somebody to, to get, yeah. get there. And then those people, they hang on. What about the male, female, female thing? I mean, were most of those upper level management men or was it, Women, it's a makeup company, right? So maybe there's a lot of women. I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, Sephora is incredibly diverse. Honestly, they do a great job of um, of diversifying. But I would say the majority of their corporate scheme is women. Um, that's refreshing. It is. It was awesome. And that's, you know, that's a lot of the reason why I wanted to stay with it. But in m- many of the other corporate jobs that I tried to work my way up in. Even I worked for a quick blip at Victoria's Secret as a stock manager there. And even my store manager there was male. And uh, so, yeah, so I've certainly run into that discrepancy, you know, along with the age discrepancy in my career. Um, And I find that the way to overcome that for me, at least, has been confidence. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Confidence is very important. Yeah. I think that, you know, going into anything, not only being confident, sometimes overconfident in a situation, but trusting that even if you you know, don't fully know what you're in for or don't fully know how to handle the situation, you'll figure it out, you know, has been the key to success in every situation I've been in is just having so a lack of fear and uh, the confidence helps you have that lack of fear. I would say fear. So, but you, but you know what you think you, you give me this interesting story, but I'm not letting you off the hook yet. I mean, I'm, I want to know what are some of your, uh, you know, spectacular failures. Do you have any? I would say, Every so tie this back to fail forward Friday, right? Every week you could see this from almost all of the agents on the team at some point or another, if not all at once, it's always time management. It's the hardest, hardest part of this job is there's so many different moving parts and feeling like you can close the book at the end of the day and say, I got everything done. It's next to impossible. (laughs) So, (laughs) So it's, you know, that's the learning curve. You have to prioritize. We're not taught that, right? Growing up, you're taught to let more or less let a corporation run your time. You know, you're you're clocking a nine to five and that's how your day goes. And what you get Well, even as a kid, right? Do your homework. When you finish your homework, then you can go out and play. Well, then you can have dinner, whatever it is, you can watch TV. You gotta fit what however long it takes, doesn't matter. Just finish your homework, right? So at a very young age, we're taught to do that, not to not to prioritize. Not you never hear a parent say, well. Let's see what you got. You have you have history and you have math and you have English, whatever, and go, well, you know, history's not that important. You could save that for tomorrow. <laughs> you never hear that, right? You don't prioritize, you just do all of it. Well, in the real world, that's not what happens. Get it done, meet your deadlines, clock your shifts, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. But when you become an entrepreneur, that all goes out the window. And you're left with, okay, I have 24 hours in a day what in the world do I do to get everything done? How do I manage that? So, you know, there's been a, a, I could go through a list of things (laughs) that I've learned over the last, you know, five years, but time blocking, I think has been the number one. And I just learned this probably, I just learned to implement this effectively, I should say within the last three to four years. If you look at my calendar right now, every hour of my day is time blocked. Now I'm not only, I'm not always the best at, you know, following those time blocks, but the fact that I can go back and say, okay, you know, at Saturday at noon, this is what I'm going to be doing. If I have a client call me and say, hey, I need to go look at a property right away. 
I can look at my calendar and like you said, then prioritize is that, you know, I have today between two and five that I can show you properties. Otherwise I have a meeting with myself where I have to get A, B and C done and learning to say no or no. How about this time is really hard to do when it, you know, it seems like there's business right on the other side of that phone call. That's not always the case, you know? Well, you know, I like that. I really like that term. I have an appointment. I have business with myself. I've never heard anybody say that. I've heard it expressed in other ways, but never quite so well. I mean, that's true. If you have to get something done, it's business with yourself. And if you don't get it done, then what you want to get out of your business or life, whatever, it doesn't happen. And so you have to set aside time and make that uh, absolute, right? You You can't compromise in that because there's no way to catch up sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I find that that's even the case when it comes to my personal life, you know, and how it correlates with my business. Like there are often, if you don't manage your time, other people will absolutely. Yeah. Well, you're a real estate person. So you're working seven days. You could work seven days a week. You could work weekends. Who knows what you can meet people at 6am or at 8pm and yeah, and you have a relationship, you have a, you have a boyfriend, right? And so, you know, if you were married, whatever, you have a, a significant other of some sort, you have to find time to spend time with them. Or, you know, if you have kids, well, what do you do there? You still have, you have to have time for them. And uh, if you don't schedule the time, sometimes it just doesn't happen because it's easy to get caught up in the work. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm the first couple of years of my business, it's it became a, a rat race with myself, basically, where, you know, I, I found myself running around like a headless chicken and not spending as much time as I nearly would have liked to with loved ones. But not only that, with myself, you know, it I've become so obsessed with my job, which I, you know, I think is important when it cooks. I love it, you know, and that's, I think that comes through with how hard I work and how much energy I put into it. But in separating personal and business, I'm able to prioritize where my energy is spent, right? So eventually when you start your own business, it it comes down to just focusing your energy on what you're doing in that moment and not trying to multitask everything. And if you're working, work. And if you're resting, rest. And if you're spending time, quality time with people you love, spend the time, put your phone away, you know, don't have notifications on, whatever it takes. Wait, wait, wait. You're, you're 24 years old and you're telling people to put your phone away? This is, I know, I know. Shock. You're, you're unusual. Shock. You're a rarity. Yeah. You might be the only one in town. I will only, I'll give credit to my boyfriend for this one because it, it has been a battle for him with notifications, emails. My email notifications were insane. 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, <laughs> interrupting dinner. And it's so hard when this is, my passion, this is my life, not to open it up and say, oh, so-and-so wants to go see properties next week. And then, then my head is there. My head is not at dinner. My head is not in our conversation. And so eventually he's like, can you please do not disturb from 8 p.m. on, on your phone? And so that's what I do now. And, I, and that's huge. And you haven't died because of it, right. huh? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's amazing. I, yeah, my favorite, uh, people always ask me, what do you like best about your phone or your, your television or whatever? I said, well, my favorite button is the on-off switch. <laughs> And I, you know, I'm one of those people who who leave the house every once in a while and actually forget to take my phone. And I've gotten five blocks from the house and go, oh, shoot, I forgot to take my phone. Should I go back and get it? Sometimes I go, yeah, I guess I better go back and get it. Most of the time I go, oh, screw it. 
I can, if they want me to leave a message, I'll be home in half an hour anyway, or an hour anyway, and I don't go back to get it. But I had a lot of people who, they'd be across town and they'll go back home to get their phone. I think you're aging yourself. I probably am. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm for sure I, I am. Oh, but yeah. I think, I, what, to your point, that's just, it's self-respect to a level, right? I mean, I care endlessly about my clients, but I have to take time to have some silence every once in a while. <laughs> so, and it's, you know, time blocking that helps exponentially. So that's been a huge thing. Learning to say no or no, how about this time, you know, is, is a learned behavior when it comes. So how does one teach themselves that learned behavior and how to say no? Because that's, that's a real skill that many people have, have struggles with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, you have a secret? How have you done it? What made you, besides your boyfriend pushing you and saying, I'm not talking to you anymore, unless you turn your phone off. But, you know, what, what, uh, what can people do to, to respect themselves more so that they can say no? Yeah, I would say be aware of your time and how the time that you're spending on things is affecting your productivity as a person. Whether that's how productive you are in relationship or at work, you know, you get a, you'll, you'll feel it when you're overworking when you're running around too much and other things start to fall to the wayside respect that you know you 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 know what your time is best spent doing and i think it's a matter of writing it out you know writing out a, my life is a compromised of lists that's all it is is a bunch of lists <laughs> so every morning okay. i write out it's a successful day today if i get these three to five things done And I also write out, here's the one thing that I can do every day, and it's different every day, that will make everything else easier or unnecessary. I don't know if you've read the one thing, but you should. (laughs) Everyone should. I haven't, but I guess I should. (laughs) I I will, yeah. But I mean, that's great. Let's talk about nuggets of useful information. That's it. I mean, what you just said, that's a skill that people don't have or or an epiphany people didn't, didn't get. And hopefully they take what you say seriously because you're obviously successful and you figured it out at a fairly young age. So it sets you apart. So if you want to be here that people, you want to be successful, you want to not drive yourself crazy and not lose your relationships, make lists and then follow the list. Mm -hmm. I really like what you said about here's what I need to get done to consider my day successful. And if I can do that, then everything else is gravy. And that's the thing about, you know, running your own business. There's so much that goes on. There's so many distractions that can come at you. And at the end of the day, it's so easy to feel like, what the hell did I even do today? What what did I even get done? I felt like I did a lot, but I don't know. Am I really that accomplished? So it's something to go back to and say, you know, okay, great. I got these things done. Or, you know, what are these little things that maybe I can push to tomorrow to make tomorrow a win. But it's about being, it's back to self-awareness, right? This is what we were talking about earlier. It's being aware of your priorities, being aware of your time, being aware of where you spend your energy, and then making decisions that you can be proud of at the end of the day in regards to those things. And I- so you, you gave us all this great wisdom here, never once mentioning about the real estate business <laughs> while you started talking. So my, my impression is that, yeah, you're right, but it, that goes for every single business and many life skills as well right even family all those all those skills all those disciplines they transfer to almost anything absolutely yeah absolutely that's what i'm going for here broad broad wisdom (laughs) (laughs) well you know you're you're you've gotten that you're a pretty wise person which is 
don't know. I guess that's why I wanted an interview. Mom, I knew you. Mom called me an old soul. <laughs> an old soul, huh? Well, maybe. I don't, I don't know. So where'd you learn all this stuff? I would say that ever since I embarked on this entrepreneurial journey, if you will, that um, I've just been an avid learner of I love self-development. I read a lot. Actually, that's not true. I listen to a lot of audiobooks because I drive a lot. <laughs> oh, okay, same. That's good use of your time. You're doing two things at once. Oh, well, let's say podcasts more than anything. How about that? Uh, I'm a big fan of that one. <laughs> I thought you would be. So <laughs> it's just constantly figuring out how to be better than I was yesterday. And that's, I think, what we're really all here for at the end of the day. Not only for ourselves and our loved ones, but for the state of the world in general is you know, I did my best today and how can I do even better tomorrow? And I think that's a lot of being curious and a lot of listening to other people that have put themselves in positions to be successful and how they did it and uh, reading a lot of interviews and, and things like that. So uh, I think it's just trying to be a constant discoverer of how to be an optimized version of yourself. Nice. So what are your, some of your favorite podcasts? Or do you have any favorite ones that you listen to regularly? Yeah, I do actually. Let me pull up my yeah, I bet. I, let me. Let me guess. I bet you have a list. <laughs> oh, you know me too well. Um, okay, great. Here's some suggestions. Every morning, I start my day with NPR Up First, which is a 15 minute blip about the most important news that you need to start your day. I listen to 10 uh, Happier by Dan Harris. is an amazing podcast, um, meditation based, but a lot of great skills as far as um, optimizing your mental state. I love mm -hmm. that. Um, I listen to some Gary V. Sometimes he's too much for me, but I love his. Uh, Vanderchuk, right? Isn't that his last name? Uh, Gary Vanderchuk? Um, okay. As far as real estate goes, Bigger Pockets is an amazing, very informative podcast about not only growing your wealth, but how to grow um, your business in real estate, whether it's as an agent or if it's investment properties or if it's house hacking or whatever it is. Um, Health wise, The Genius Life is a great one with a bunch of very medically based tips on how to eat right, how to, you know, optimize your physical self. I could go on. Well, that's a pretty nice list. And what, one more time, what was the name of that book you were recommending that, that I, I and everybody else read? It's called The One Thing. The One Thing. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. And it's, that's actually, it's, um, it's got a podcast as well that I was going to mention, which is actually a really amazing podcast as well. Um, but it's, the book is more or less focused around, like we've been talking about self-awareness, you know, how do you, how do you figure out how to simplify what you want to get done and what's going to make the biggest impact with the smallest amount of effort? You're pretty good at uh, boiling things down and putting them into understandable phrases, I have to say. <laughs> and that's a real good skill for a salesperson uh, or for anybody, really. It's a great skill to be a, as a parent too, because giving clear direction to your kids and then follow and then follow up, which is what you know is good and important. It also um, helps you be a, a good parent and you just have to have the wisdom to know when to step in and when to let them fail, which I suspect you probably are pretty good at that too. So one of these days when you get there, you're going to make a great mom. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Did you learn some of that from your mother? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my mom, she's amazing. You should have her on. She, uh, she spent the majority of my life 
pre-high school, working in the schools with uh, children with behavioral and mental challenges or disabilities. And I think that's where I gained a lot of my um, perspective on communication. Not only that, but her marriage with my dad. Um, they, they're still married 40, almost 40 years. And I've seen all of the ups and downs <laughs> through their community uh, because I'm an only child, you know? So oh, okay. I, you know, I was the main focus of, of their life, you know, anyways. So with, you know, yeah, my mom worked in this, the psychology field more or less with, with children growing up. Um, and so I think a lot of my communication skills come from her. Absolutely. Yeah. She is the most, she's the best listener. <laughs> she should probably start her own podcast, honestly. She's the kind of person where growing up, I would absolutely hate to go into the grocery store with her because we'd be there for four hours and she would make five best friends and she would know their whole life story. So okay. she taught me to talk. <laughs> yeah, so she could be a podcast host. She could be a bartender or, right. or a therapist, right? <laughs> and I think my job as a real estate agent is a lot of therapy. So I can thank her. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. You've got all kinds of customers, clients, whatever you want to call them. And there are people that are very calm and people that are very agitated and some that think they know everything and don't and some that think they know everything and do and all kinds of people. And you have to be able to, well, you, you don't have to be successful with every single one of them, but you have to be successful with most of them, be adapt to their to their behavior and learning styles. Right? It's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of knowing how to switch how I speak because my, my default, right. Is I'm pretty high energy. I'm pretty optimistic. I talk fast. I get that a lot. Um, especially when I'm a little nervous or have a little, you know, um, excitement going into an appointment. So it's a lot of learning how to mirror people. Um, another great book is, uh, never split the difference by Chris boss. I've read oh, that. Yeah. One. It's a great one. And he talks all about, yeah, you know, how to the psychology of, of speaking to people and negotiating with people. Yeah, he was a master negotiator for CIA or something like that. Yeah, right? the stories that he has doing crisis negotiation in that book are fascinating. Um, but it's, you know, they're yeah. so true and they play into business so well. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of mirroring, which he talks about, which is basically just matching not only the, the you know, um, physical reactions people have with you, but their tone, how fast they're speaking. So psychology plays a lot into business. In a sure, aspects. it does. Uh, do, you, do you have uh, uh, any difference in, in levels of success talking to a man or a woman or husbands or wives or whatever category, but male, female? Mm. Does that make a difference to you at That's all? It's a good question. I don't think it necessarily makes a difference as far as my success with the client, but I will say that some are much more challenging you know, for me to, to deal with than others. Um, not that I don't enjoy it any more or less, but it's, you know, if I'm meeting with somebody who maybe is a first time buyer around my age and, you know, they're excited and it, that's, you know, that's their mindset going into it. I'm going to be a lot different of a person than, you know, if I'm meeting with somebody who's selling their home to, you know, move into a retirement facility and, you know, it's an emotional process and they're, you know, older and whatever the case may be. So it's, that's not my natural disposition, but I, I love a challenge. <laughs> and I will say that, you know, this being in real estate and dealing with so many different people and so many different walks of life and, um, you know, just different dispositions in general has taught me how to basically speak to anyone effectively and, you know, be, be a people person to a lot of different personalities. And I think that that's, that that is an incredibly valuable skill, not only for life in general, but especially in business. So I wouldn't say I'm more or less successful with 
you know, certain types of people, I think it just expands my, you know, my growth as a person <laughs> when I have to switch or mirror a little bit of a different uh, personality than is my default. But, but I love that. You know, I always come away from those interactions feeling like I've trained and honed that skill. Okay. Uh, and, and I think I've experienced that in talking with you too. Um, you you uh, get to understand the person you're talking to and figure out really quickly how to relate to them and how they can relate to you and get your message across without any barriers going up. One of my favorite yeah. things to do to go into somebody's household and while they're showing me around their house, um, you know, point out the little things, right? That they either linger their eye on for a little bit too long or, you know, they... Uh, have a special attention around in the house, maybe a lot of family pictures about, you know, one trip or something like that and, and just get them talking because that's really the time where I learn, you know, how do I best relate to this person? And I think that that's something that we do naturally with everybody that we talk to in, in life. You know, it's just, I get much more reps <laughs> than the normal person does. At that. Yeah. But yeah, you have to do it. Uh, generally you can't, fake that. I mean, you could, people do it all the time, but that doesn't work, right? You have to have, find something you're genuinely uh, interested yeah, in. No, people can always like. sniff out disingenuous behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But I, yeah, like if, if I walk into somebody's house and they have, well, this happened to happen to me, but if they, if they did have say, you know, heads of animals on their <laughs> wall that they've shot, I'd have a hard time convincing them that I could relate to them. <laughs> It's like, I couldn't, unless we wanted to talk about the mechanics of how a rifle works, then I'd be all over it because I'm an engineer at heart. Uh, but I couldn't talk about hunting and be comfortable. Uh, so there are some things you can't, but overall, you could probably find something that... I have been some interesting about. households, including some with exotic animals. Um, yeah. Mm, really? <laughs> Tigers in the backyard, that kind of thing? Not live ones, but... <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. All right. Now, now here's a here's something that maybe dates me too. Something really old took me out books. Have you ever read the famous Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence oh, People? Yes. What a classic. He talks about what you're saying too, right? That is a book that I think everybody everybody needs to read. That's like top five recommendations for I agree. And you know what? Well, I think they should read the original version, not the updated version. Agreed. That's yeah. I have it on my shelf right now. <laughs> oh, cool. Really? I have a couple of first editions. Oh, okay. By the way, yeah. If you're really nice to me, I might give you okay. one. Okay. <laughs> I like giving things to people that don't need them. <laughs> You've already learned the lesson, right? You don't have to read it again, but you probably will read it again anyway, because that's the kind of person and you are. And that's the kind of book that you should probably read multiple times in multiple different parts of your life. I read it every five to 10 years, I guess, something like that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, um, We've been, on the, we've been talking for quite a while now. You're a really interesting person to talk to. I really enjoyed this, but my time is running out. So um, you've left my listeners with some really good nuggets of wisdom. I'm going to try to highlight them in my show notes and list the podcasts and books you recommended. And it's up to them if they want to follow up, but I think some of them will. You're a very dynamic person. You're amazingly successful, for, especially for your age, really for any age. You figured out what you wanted to do by the time you were 20. Yeah. Uh, I only figured out what I wanted to do about a week ago. So <laughs> I had to. I just, I'm just lucky I got an early start. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. And you had good advice and good guidance along the way, obviously. And your mom gets some credit for that. Um, but anyway, uh, that's been fun and uh, it's time to go. So I will see you around. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. This has been really fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today on the Amazing Women podcast. 
Subscribe now and get the latest episodes sent to your device every week. Go to our website, theamazingwomenpodcast.com, to hear bonus episodes, download free business tools, and join our family of amazing women. I know you're a real estate agent, but what do you, what do you, I know you're a real estate agent, but what would you say you actually do? This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>